A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to The Shit Show. Welcome to the world of the media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to, I think it's episode six, is it, Liv? It is episode six. Episode six of The Shit Show. I'm joined, as usual, with Liv, and next week we're going to be joined by our third honey, Ruby, which we're really excited about. Um, But first of all, Liv, how has your week been? What have you been consuming? My week has been pretty fucking hectic. I it was it was a good week, but I just had a big assignment due date for one of my uni courses, um, which pretty much took up all of my time. And as Luce knows, I'm a fucking stress crammer, and I leave things last minute, and then I hate myself for it. But it was good. I got it done in the end, and. To be honest, lockdown isn't really bothering me anymore. It's really weird. I feel like it's suddenly become the the new normal. It feels like this is my life now because we have that much to do. Like, I can't leave the house anyway. I've got no time. Exactly. My first recommendation is normal people. We need to get this out of the way, Luce, because I am dying to talk to you about it. For those of you who don't know, Normal People is a book written by an Irish woman called Sally Rooney and it's recently been made into a TV series which is I think it's BBC Three have been the host channel for that so it's just like 12 half an hour episodes and it is so bingeable it's not even funny. I'm sure that you guys are all already across this because it is like speaking to our demographic. I just have to say it is so sexy and I've said it once and I say it to everyone honestly sexiest tv show i've ever watched like i'm blushing just talking about it honestly you guys need to like if you if you want to grab out your vibrator i would because oh the first kiss like no it's it's sexy in the way that it's like there are so many emotions between the two characters and it's so subtle and it's so intimate there's so many feelings there that like the sex is incredible like it's Oh, and there's a sex scene in episode two. I think it's episode two. Mm-hmm. I remember it's, number one and two, me having to take a break and being like, "Holy shit! Like this is so sexy." One, it's sexy. Two, I feel <laughs> so alone right now. <laughs> you know? I was literally like, "Oh my god!" There's nothing like a sexy TV show to make you feel like, "Well, fuck!" Exactly. I have no one to do that with. So. I actually did a whole lot of reading after I watched it because that's what we do, Liv, me and you. Um, And they had an intimacy coordinator because of the Me Too movement and the way that we need to be talking about and portraying sex these days. Like it needs to be super positive and consensual, all that good stuff. They brought in an intimacy coordinator who is, I believe, the reason that 
these sex scenes are so bearing all and full frontal, but so classy and so consensual and just, I mean, the show is so much more than sex. PC, PC with being really explicit, but it, but it's not in a trashy way and it's insane. And well, because Luce, I know that they also had an intimacy coach for sex education, but that must have been a very, very different, <laughs> very different type of different. intimacy. That would have been like, okay, now portray the awkwardness of high school yeah. sexual experiences. More awkward. Yeah, more awkward. <laughs> more awkward. Oh, and, and guys, like the show is so much more than just about how sexy it is. Like, I just feel like, love, the title, Normal People, encapsulates it perfectly. Like, you are following these two normal people, Marianne and Connell, who live a very, they almost live like mundane. mundane yeah, exactly. Mundane lives, but we're gripped by their feelings. Nothing like totally out of the ordinary happens to them, but it's still really interesting parts of the mundane, which I think Sally Rooney just absolutely nails. I know that you've watched this too, Luce. We both saw... London Review Bookshop YouTube channel, Sally Rooney does, she talks to um, an interviewer about normal people and I think this is before Mm -hmm. the TV show came out. And she talks about normalcy and the intention behind normalcy and how the name normal people actually came right at the end because she realised that it was such a normal thing she was writing about. Exactly. And she goes into like, you know, capitalism and what it means for the two characters and it she really highlights how the book and the TV show is not following the individualistic nature of the two characters and their psychology. It's how they are, they exist together and how Mm -hmm. their personalities change through their relationship. Yeah, definitely recommend watching that after you've seen the show because you'll totally know what she's talking about. Connell's mental health is super jarring there's like two episodes that really dive into his depression and to see that to see that happening to a male which we know that it happens to boys and girls but it's something we don't often watch is so jarring so sobering he does this one really long monologue in a therapist's office or a counselor's office that is actually really hard to watch and to be honest I think he should win a fucking Emmy for that alone it is it's it's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable seeing him who is portrayed at the start as you know a sporty popular guy in school he is pretty inept at expressing his emotions although he turns into a brilliant writer he said he doesn't even know how he's feeling most of the time exactly and then seeing him just like break down it was uncomfortable and watching it unfold and seeing him come out of it and seeing how Marianne dealt with it as well I think is really useful for a lot of people whether that in a relationship or whether it's just their mm. friend or like for example, guys, at one point she was on she was in Sweden. Was it yeah, Sweden? Sweden? Yeah, Sweden. She was yeah. in Sweden and he was in Dublin and he was having this absolutely shitter of a time. He was so depressed, he couldn't sleep. And at one point they're just on FaceTime and she just says, Look, go to sleep and leave me here and she stays there and studies all night as he's sleeping and it's just like it's super romantic, but even in a non-romantic way, because at that point in time, they were just friends. I mean, I don't think they ever are just friends throughout the whole thing, but it's a beautiful thing to do for someone. 
Yeah, you could do that for your friend. You could do that for your girlfriend. I just, honestly, I just think, I can't fault it. I'm so biased. I'm so biased. I know. I'm, I'm so biased too. Like, it's funny because nothing happens in it and nothing happens in the book, but it's just so freaking beautiful because so much happens at the same time. It's so sexy. <laughs> So what else have I been consuming? I have found this really cool YouTube channel. Um, it's a guy called Slu. I don't know what his actual name is. I've only just found him in the last couple of days. But I I do painting at uni. So he's a painter. And he shows people how to paint with acrylics, how to paint with oils and stuff. And just like in a really awesome relaxed way and I'd been trying to look for someone like that to like keep me motivated so I think for anyone that's into art um, or painting or anything like that or like wanting to become better at it because he has a lot of like tutorials I'd definitely recommend looking up slew I think he used to have a background in graffiti and that's like kind of where the name came from and yeah my last recommendation is something really random. It's not something I've been consuming. It's something that I've been doing with my flatmates. So I think the importance of ritual in this lockdown is really, really pressing. What my flatmates and I do is go for a tea walk every second night or so. And so we live by this graveyard and we just fill up a thermos of tea, go for a walk through the graveyard and then sit down, drink our tea, chat shit and then come home and it's just really cute and I would recommend doing that with the people that you live with because it's just a nice thing to do nice well loose enough about me and my tea walks through the graveyard what have you been up to this week what have you been reading watching whatever um oh well okay first of all I have just entered this zoom chat with Liv after another really exciting zoom chat that you're going to hear at the end of this episode and honestly I'm fucking exhausted, which is really funny because um, a headline that I'm going to talk about later is um, why Zoom's so exhausting, but damn, it actually is. So I kind of came into this being a bit like, oh, how's this podcast going to go? But nah, I'm hyped because we've just talked about normal people. So like, I'm all flustered again. I know. How can you not be? (laughs) The fanny flutters are coming back. (laughs) No, seriously. My only recommendation this week is normal people. <laughs> oh my god, I was taken aback by my bodily reactions. <laughs> oh, cut that out. Lucy <laughs> <laughs> just orgasmed on I air <laughs> from the thought of normal people. God, if only it was that easy, am I right? <laughs> um, so I finished a book called Adults This Week, written by Emma Jane unsworth that i really enjoyed so i got onto this book because i saw that it was dolly alderton's book of the year last year and i really trust her taste so i read it um at the start i really didn't know if i was gonna like it so it follows jenny who's like a 30 something year old woman who her life is like controlled by instagram like you think instagram affects the younger generation the most, but Jenny is absolutely consumed with Instagram to the point where she stresses out for hours over a caption, over a full stop, over a hashtag, over a comment. Like, it's actually wild. She works for an online publication and she's just recently separated from her partner, Art. And it's just, it's kind of like another nothing book, but it's written so well. It's really funny. 
Yeah, so her mum's kind of like a fortune teller and it's just the relationship between Jenny, the main character, and her mum is super interesting. And then Jenny and Art, her ex-boyfriend's really, really interesting. And then at the end, it kind of goes into her miscarriage and how that's kind of fucked with her. And then you kind of see why she relies on Instagram so much. And it's just an interesting read and it's really funny and a really easy read. But at the start, you might think you're going to hate it because you kind of hate Jenny. Anyway, if you trust Dolly and you kind of trust me, I would recommend reading it. My last recommendation is leading into something that I'm going to be talking about later on the show, which is all about Arbon. Um, I read an article called White Mercedes Benz, Visco Filters and Cooked Concerts. We need to talk about Arbon. And I fell into an absolute rabbit hole of what this fucking MLM scheme is. So keep listening to the end of the podcast if you want to hear about that because it's very interesting and if you're anything like me, you're just going to get completely consumed by it. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? Now it's time for our segment, Around the World in Five Headlines. The first headline we've got today is... Profits and pride at stake. The race for a vaccine intensified. This was on the New York Times. So the little tagline for this was governments, companies and academic labs are accelerating their efforts amid geopolitical cross currents, questions about safety and the challenges of producing enough doses for billions of people. So this article is obviously discussing the COVID-19 virus that is currently plaguing the planet. This article says that seven out of the 90 projects to create a vaccine have now reached the stage of clinical trials. Political leaders are putting huge pressure on the process with a huge potential for profits of the industry at stake because obviously these large pharmaceutical companies are going to get mad moolah. If they create the vaccine. Yeah, if they create the vaccine. So Mm -hmm. It means that the vaccine process is progressing at unheard speeds. However, uncertainty plagues the enterprise around the vaccine's effectiveness, how fast it can be made available to millions slash billions of people in need, and whether the rush will sacrifice safety as the process is being compressed from a potential 10 years. Usually it's potentially up to 10 years to get a vaccine from lab to market. Whereas they're trying to do it in 10 months. So just to put this into perspective, the world record for a lab to market vaccine development currently stands at four years. And this was a guy, I think he created the, helped create the mumps vaccine because his daughter got it. That's a pretty terrifying concept that we, you know, international travel may not open properly until a vaccine's created. Okay, so that mumps vaccine record that was made in 1967. So that four-year record was for a vaccine that was made in 1967 by Morris Heilman for his yeah. five-year-old daughter, Geraldine. Yeah, and I think it's pretty legendary. Which it must be if it was 1967 and we haven't progressed to create a vaccine faster in that amount of time. I don't know. That's pretty interesting. So basically, they're saying that the development of treatments rather than a vaccine for COVID-19 is probably more promising at the moment. 
um, surrounding the optimism of the antiviral drug remdesivir, which we actually discussed in our first podcast. So if you guys do want to hear a little bit more about that antiviral drug, I would go and listen to Lucy and I discussed that in episode one. So Liv, is rem is remdesivir, um, I've been reading a lot about the idea of treatments versus vaccines and they've just come out with one and I think it might be remdesivir, I'm not sure, that basically shortens the amount of time it takes to get better from coronavirus. Yeah, I think that was it. Researchers are saying that it's never going to be like a magic pill that you swallow and you're suddenly treated. It's going to help you recover faster, basically. But yeah, I think it helps you recover four days faster than you would. Yeah, it's something like 11 days to 15 days or something like that. Anyway, guys, we aren't medical experts, but um, there is a lot of things being said. Yeah, there's a lot of media coverage around this. So if you want to read up, go for it. So what is very complex right now in an era of intense nationalism is the geopolitics surrounding this. So Trump is increasingly worried about protecting the American innovation from theft, mainly from China. Just to put that into context, think about the space race between the US and the Soviet Union, where they were basically competing to see who could get to the moon first it's kind of like that kind of race the race to get a vaccine and then it's kind of just like intense selfishness like america wanting to protect the innovation from theft is like okay but this vaccine is gonna help the entire world get over this virus exactly it boils down to nationalism versus globalism and at the moment nationalism is kind of winning right now which is pretty fucked up because you know, we're all facing the same crisis and countries are being protective over their medical resources and knowledge, even though we're all facing this huge global pandemic. I just think it's very strange. And a lot of it is fueled by money because the governments are obviously putting a lot of their economic resources into the pharmaceutical companies and the production lines for these drugs. But you know, we're doing this so people don't die. Yeah, like it seems really fucked up to be strategizing right now rather than just trying to save lives. Exactly, rather than just being humane and having community come together. So yeah, basically that's a huge thing going on at the moment. Governments are also building production lines before anything is even being produced because they're trying to, you know, get a step ahead in the race. So American pharmaceutical company Johnson & Johnson are promising a billion doses of an as-of-yet undeveloped vaccine by the end of next year. And Britain-based pharmaceutical giant AstraZeneca, I don't know how to pronounce that, they're making similar promises of millions of vaccines by the end of next year, which when you're hearing that the world record is four years and these people were promising things by the end of the year. I don't know, it would just be really, really interesting. I do think it's okay that they're building production lines before anything's being produced because there's no harm in kind of being ready and that's also keeping people in work. But I think just, it's like with anything, just like if don't make promises you can't keep, but prepare. Yeah, but prepare. And also like it is a race, it's not, Like, we shouldn't be racing other countries, but we are racing the virus. So you've got to get ahead. 
There's also a huge growing pressure for human challenge trials in order to speed up the vaccination progress. So um, this is where healthy volunteers are injected with a potential vaccine and then are exposed purposefully to the virus, which, as you can imagine, has huge ethical implications because we don't know the full effects of the disease yet. We know that people, you know, are recovering, but we don't actually know what that means for their bodies in the long run. But that would shave off a lot of time, obviously, for the vaccine development. So you have to weigh up the pros and cons. And I'm just glad I'm not in charge of that decision-making process. So on the same line as nationalism versus globalism with the vaccine, scientists talk about finding a global vaccine. But because the governments are forking out for their country's research, as I said before, national leaders such as Trump, surprise, surprise, are emphasizing that they want to immunize their own populations first rather than sending the vaccines to places that are at the highest risk of disease and death. That's interesting. That's something I hadn't thought about because it does make sense from a leadership point of view that if you're promising things to your country to get them It's like, you know, when you're going down in a plane, if it's crashing, put your life jacket on before you put it onto the child next to you. Before other people's. Yeah. Exactly, even if they're more vulnerable. it's This is a really interesting ethical dilemma. There's no kind of set in stone right or wrong thing. I mean, the dean of Harvard Medical School says that thinking about the vaccine distribution in nationalistic terms is actually careless because it would ultimately waste a large number of vaccines on those at low risk rather than covering as many high risk individuals as possible so I think if you're looking for like the greater good of the world in general that is not a smart strategy but at the end of the day these leaders are do have a focus on their own countries and rightly so. Exactly. So it might be a case of, you know, don't get everyone in the country vaccinated, but get the high riskers vaccinated as quick as possible and then go to the countries that either can't produce or distribute the vaccines themselves and help them or just, the you know, where the highest diseases and the highest vulnerability is just get in there and get the vaccines. I mean, easier said than done, and me and Liv are not leaders of any countries, and we know that it must be incredibly, incredibly hard, and these are the decisions that they're elected to make, or elected in a democracy, to make. I just, yeah, the the weight of these responsibilities is unfathomable to me. It's the weight of the world. It's the weight of the world's population. It's going to be really, really interesting to see where this goes and who makes what decisions, but We'll keep you posted, guys. This article is really interesting and it's actually a lot longer than I've covered and there's just too much information to put in this section of our podcast, but I would recommend reading the rest of it as it covers ideas such as speed versus safety and traditional versus new methods of you know, creating the actual vaccine and the science behind that. So if you guys are interested, I would head over to the New York Times and read that article and we'll link it in the show notes we link every headline that we talk about in the show notes below now Liv speaking of voting and you know electing people into power deciding on things I want to talk about something that New Zealanders are going to have to vote on come September which is the cannabis referendum so I read a really good article in the spin-off the other day called here's what we'll be voting on in the cannabis referendum written by Alex Bray 
So for those of you guys who aren't across this, um, basically in September when we go to vote for our local MPs and who the next government should be, we will also be voting on whether or not to legalize cannabis for recreational use. Um, Cannabis, also known as marijuana, weed, Mary J, a lot of other things, grass. Um, It's, oh, kush, did you say love? No, I said pot, but kush also. Pot Pot and kush Um, is a recreational drug. Got anything else to say about it, love? You're like the queen of knowing all about this shit. (laughs) All about drugs. Yeah, well, I think most people know what weed yeah. is. Okay, y'all know, you guys know what weed is. Anyway. Y'all know what it is. The question that you guys are going to be asked to answer come September is, do you support the proposed cannabis legislation and control bill? There is a few restrictions, obviously. There's an age limit of 20 for purchasing or possessing weed. And there's a purchasing limit of 14 grams per day, which I don't know if I'm just naive, but I feel like that's a lot. Is it, Liz? 14 grams is like half an ounce. And I feel like if you had an ounce a day, that's a, f- that's a fuckload. Cannabis use is also going to be restricted to private residences and licensed premises only. So there's also going to be a ban on importing or exporting cannabis. Only uh, cannabis shops are going to be able to sell it. So it won't be just on the shelves at supermarkets or dairies. Advertising on it is going to be restricted as well. People over 20 can actually grow their own. So they'd be allowed to grow up to two plants without a license. But the government has restricted it to four plants overall in households with multiple occupants. And production of concentrates like cannabis oil would be prohibited without a license. But home production of edibles would be allowed. The fine for public cannabis use, so if you're walking around smoking your joint and you get caught, would be between 200 and 500 bucks, depending on the severity of the offence. But those who sell or provide cannabis to people under the legal age would still actually face prison. So um, knowingly growing too many unlicensed plants as well could also result in jail time. I do just have to say that even if more people vote yes on this referendum in September, it won't become legal straight away. So a bill still has to go through Parliament and the public will have a chance to have their say on specific aspects of um, all of this too. So don't just think that as soon as September 20th rolls around, you'll be lighting up legally because you won't be. I do just want to go into like some of my thoughts around the arguments that I'm seeing for and against, mostly for the legalization. So there's a classic argument that alcohol is more dangerous than weed and is available in unlimited quantities, which I think is so true. Like so much damage can be done with alcohol. I'm not saying it can't be done with marijuana but like you can buy as much alcohol as you want you can buy we have people dying after ingesting entire bottles of vodka do you know what I mean like the restrictions on alcohol are pretty loose except for age yeah um so yeah another so 
Another thing is that people are just going to use it whether it's legal or not. So some really interesting stats from the New Zealand Drug Foundation are that um, by the age of 21, 80% of New Zealanders have tried weed at least once, which is just like, I don't know why I found that. Did you find that quite shocking? I did, and I don't know why. See, that to me sounds about right. There's also the classic argument that weed is a gateway drug. I did some looking into this, and there's been no conclusive evidence that cannabis use primes the brain for harder drug use. However, what is really interesting and obvious when you think about it is that because marijuana is illegal, you have to go to the black market to find it. Now, when you're going to the black market, you're going to be entering a realm where there are much harder drugs around and maybe you are... You're just, you're breaking that barrier. Like it's one, it's, it's one thing to break the barrier of drugs in general, but then I guess alcohol is also a drug cigarettes are a drug I think by making weed illegal as it is at the moment you're stepping into kind of uncharted territory and I think once you've made that leap it is a little bit easier to carry on with the illicit drug you know route so like if you remove the black market from this equation and legalize weed and then you know that's taking that gateway drug argument kind of making it defunct because yes I don't know that's something just that I thought was interesting to think about also Ruby reached out to me our third Cisco gal and showed me a really interesting article about how the weed laws disproportionately affect the Maori community a report by the Helen Clark Foundation states that Maori are more likely to be stopped searched arrested and convicted for minor drug offences than non-Maori. And to be honest, this is reflected in our prison stats because overall prison population is made up of 52% Maori people, even though they are only 12% of the population. 43% are in prison on drug-related charges. So whether you agree with the referendum or not, this actually might be a good time for everyone to think about who's benefiting from having these laws in place, and but also who is being most affected by them. And it's pretty obvious if you go out and do some digging, who is. And it's the Māori community. Whether you agree with it or not, you can't question those facts. So our third headline is from ID Vice magazine. A quarantine anthology series is already in the works at Netflix. So Social Distance is what it's going to be called and it will be produced by the team behind Orange is the New Black and it's created by an entirely remote cast and crew, which is pretty cool because it's like, you know, that will really give it the feel of Social Distance. Also, I hope the person that thought of that name didn't get paid too much. I know. God, it's pretty, pretty fucking obvious. So this is definitely something that we all saw coming, but it will be fucking cool for everyone to see a collective experience on screen. It will be really interesting to see how slash what we relate to. Each episode will have a totally different storyline with a new set of characters to demonstrate the broad scope of isolation and how everyone has spent their time, which I think will be cool, Luce. It'll be really cool. It kind of reminds me of the way that the Modern Love series was set out. Yes, no, that was exactly what I was thinking. Really? Which was such a fucking letdown. Yes, I was going to say, guys, 
unpopular opinion but me and Liv did not fuck with modern love oh, it was see as fuck when you compare that to normal people I'm sorry there is absolutely no comparison no and I mean we we watched that after we'd just watched Fleabag and then The Politician so it had no chance there was just no subtlety it was way too obvious anyway the show's creators posted the following statement on Twitter. So it's this, our job as storytellers is to reflect reality. And in this new, bizarre, bewildering reality we are all experiencing, we feel passionate about finding connection as we all remain at a distance. We've been inspired to create an anthology series that tells stories about the current moment we are living through, the unique, personal, deeply human stories that illustrate how we are living apart together quite nice isn't it oh that is nice i'm excited for that okay my next article is very fitting why zoom is terrible by the new york times so me and liv have been doing a fuck load of zooms over the lockdown the start this was all really exciting and i was like yes zoom like how cool zoom happy hours whatever fun 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 now i am actually just sick of them i am i get so exhausted by them do you guys get tired by zooms i get so fucking tired like after a meeting i am done i need to have a nap do you know what you are validated by this article so basically the article looks at the way that we decode the messages that we're getting through zoom and like kind of how between the lagging and the glitching and all the staring at the squares and the screens, our brain actually works way, way harder than a phone call or a person-to-person meetup. So I'm going to read you a little paragraph. So the problem is that the way... The problem is that the way the video images are digitally encoded and decoded, altered and adjusted, patched and synthesized, introduces all kind of artifacts. Blocking, freezing, blurring, jerkiness and out of sync audio. These disruptions, some below our conscious awareness, confound perception and scramble subtle social cues. Our brains strain to fill in the gaps and make sense of the disorder, which makes us feel vaguely disturbed, uneasy, and tired without quite knowing why. Another um, quote from the article was that our brains are prediction generators. So when there are delays or the facial expressions are frozen or out of sync, which always fucking happens, our brains are trying to predict what's coming next, and that just gets exhausting also um like facial expressions when we encounter people we naturally engage in an act of what's called facial mimicry we mimic and predict how someone's feeling or going to react and it makes conversation flow better but um it's really hard to recognize emotion when your zooms are glitching or when you are constantly looking at yourself and not at them in the eyes you know trust is inhibited because you're not getting proper eye contact. Guys, there's just so many reasons to do with the brain and how we decode messages that make it all make sense about why Zooms actually suck. So I'm going to read one more little bit that I think just sums it all up. In-person communication resembles video conferencing about as much as a real blueberry muffin resembles a packaged blueberry muffin that contains not a single blueberry, but artificial flavors, textures, and preservatives. You eat too many and you're not going to feel very good. Right, Liv, give us our last headline, doll. 
Right, so to wrap it all up, our last headline is Can Children Spread the Coronavirus? It's complicated. And this is an explainer from Vox. So it's the raging debate over how infectious children with coronavirus are. So in Switzerland at the moment, infectious disease chief wants to loosen restrictions for children so they can hug their grandparents to benefit the elderly's mental health, which is lovely. It's lovely. I am all for that. I know. I know. Same. It's lovely, but it is also risky as it's unclear whether or not young children who generally get mild cases of COVID-19, whether they transmit it to others at a similar rate of adults i think there's quite like inconclusive evidence the chief's argument is that the risk of a hug is very low in comparison to the mental health benefits which is just coming from a lovely place i think it's coming from a lovely place i see it's i mean the risks are so obvious but just for mental health to be such a big thing that people are considering now when imagine 50 years ago would mental health have been considered no fucking way so this idea came from the growing number of release reports from public health and infectious disease experts that suggest children spread the disease far less than adults in saying this they can still spread it Spain have actually allowed children of 13 and younger to play outside while Denmark has already reopened schools. So countries are using this evidence in their decision. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Making process of how they're handling COVID-19. These world leaders are having to make inconceivably hard decisions as we've discussed previously in deciding which areas of society to reopen and this is made so so hard by the lack of clarity in regards to the science of the transmission of COVID-19. Do the benefits outweigh the risks? I just don't know but hopefully the young kids can hug their grandparents soon. I'd love that! Okay, everybody, just to set the scene for you right now, I'm sitting in my bedroom. It's like a rainy Sunday, and I am on FaceTime or Zoom to Liam Sharma. Um, So you guys might know Liam, even if you think that you don't. You probably do, because he wrote the piece that went absolutely fucking viral this week or last week um, called White Mercedes Benz visco filters and cooked concerts we need to talk about arbon so um after i got sent this piece by like a million of you guys i read it and thought holy shit how am i not across this whole fucking arbon saga and then naturally when i started digging into it i became fully obsessed much like liam did when he decided he had to write about it And then I thought, right, this has to be a podcast episode and who better to get on than our resident expert on all things Arbonne, Liam Sharma. Thank you for being here with me, Liam. I'm so excited. I was also one of the people that sent it to you, so I'm so glad that all the stars have... It's blossomed. Um, And I also sent you that 
I'm going to say this wrong, but like the meme account or is it Mimi? Who knows? Oh my meme. God, it's meme. It's definitely meme. <laughs> oh my God. I'll take that to my grave that it's meme. <laughs> Liam. <laughs> okay. So did you say it's called like Arbon Fizz Sticks memes? And I see you all of them. <laughs> and who, okay, just quickly, like whoever has made that Instagram page, mm. can someone just let me know so I can like send you something? You know what I mean? <laughs> Like Reach out to Siska or Liam is the editor of Source magazine, one of them. So reach out to Source with a whole lot of underscores in their username on Instagram and we'll try and get you something. Not that I actually have anything to offer, but maybe Liam does. I wanted to say one thing quickly. Um, I saw that you posted that photo of Zane and Gigi and I just... Okay, firstly, I'm obsessed with them, both of them. Okay. Like the whole I thought thing. I was about to get hated on then, like the <laughs> comment section. No, but this is going to be... So, yeah, I saw that you posted that photo, and then naturally, as you do, I scrolled down to some of the comments. And I was a little bit, bit you know, disappointed that some people relayed their thoughts to you in the way that they did. Um, yeah. and this is people bit... definitely, like, chose that photo of all the controversial stuff I post, they chose that one to really lay it to me, didn't they? Yeah. And it's weird because number one, fuck them. And number two, (laughs) also just like, I can't believe that someone would have the audacity to feel like they could control what you post on your page. And apart from obviously they should just unfollow you, they should probably just also get off the internet. And so just like a quick one, keep doing whatever the fuck you want to do, Luce, because you're doing such a good job of it. Oh, well, the only reason that those mean comments get so many likes or like they come to the top of the relevant comments is because all our other beautiful followers are commenting back at them saying like, Hey guys, like if you don't like this, just unfollow or step aside. And sometimes I do have fun clipping back as well. (laughs) Right. So Liam, the thing that I do really want to chat to you about aside from Zane and Gigi is Arbon. And I think that we need to start at the very basic level what the fuck is Arbon and why is everyone talking about it? Everyone is talking about like, what did you do in isolation? Like, you know, did you have your lemon, honey and ginger tea or, (laughs) you know, have you been doing like the yoga splits every morning for 10 minutes? I don't know. I was um, researching about Arbon. Like I really was. (laughs) Yeah. I was just going in this huge MLM hole. So MLM, multi-level marketing company. Multi-level marketing company is a company that has an omni-channel approach to selling its services or products. So obviously in Arbonne's case, it's product-based. And when it's an omni-channel, so they'll choose different platforms to distribute their goods and create revenue. So you can have online store, which Arbonne does. um, And then, you know, you can have a traditional retail store, which a lot of New Zealand brands do. Um, and then obviously with Arbon, you can have that third one, which is independent consultants. I figured out that there was 174,000 independent consultants in 2018. So that is when people are hired, hired. I'm doing the, what am I doing? Like the like air quotes. Yeah, the quotes. <laughs> Air quotes or little bunny signs, as Liam calls it. 
<laughs> the buddy thing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they're hired as independent consultants um, to represent the brand and sell the product. And Arbon, there is many different ways that Arbon's going to get their cash back, but that is what an MLM is. So they have okay. multi channels to create money. So Liam, I want you to give us a bit of a rundown on how it actually works because mm. there's a lot of confusion in my mind about kind of the structure of an MLM and like, you know, certain things or shapes that it might resemble, certain uh, landmarks in Egypt. Oh my God, I'm obsessed. Okay, you're amazing. <laughs> yeah, so Arbon is, as I was saying before, it's an MLM company. Um, difference between an MLM company and a pyramid scheme is that mm-hmm. a pyramid scheme, there is no demand for the product. So a pyramid scheme is basically like, it's in the shape of a pyramid. The people at the top make all the money. The people at the bottom don't. How people make money in pyramid schemes is by recruiting other people. Um, right. And pyramid schemes are illegal. And so they make money because they recruit people who recruit three more people, so on, so on. There's 100,000 people in the pyramid scheme. Um, and then you're just making money off people, recruiting people, off their sales. Um, and it's when the demand for the product is less than what you're making from other people. So you're making yeah. more money from the people that you're recruiting than you are from the product in a pyramid right. scheme. And that is the majority of the company. Okay. Pyramid schemes, no, illegal, and people have gotten in hot water um, in the past for them. Anyway, so yeah, so Arbon is a beauty um, and lifestyle-based MLM company. So they sell over 400 products at any given time, I'm led to believe. A lot of their money comes from the health section. So think protein, think all the skincare. I have quite a few of my friends who really rate the skincare products, mm. which I find quite interesting. And that is why I've always said that Arbon is an MLM company because they have demand for their product. I know that they have a scrub that's like absolutely amazing. And but expensive I always- products, right? Like that... Yeah, but then once you start getting into the skincare industry, and I guess this is just like a whole separate thing, is it's like there's brands out there like Drunk Elephant, right? Which is like $150 a serum, give or take, you know. Uh, Arbon is on the higher end, um, $85 for a serum. I was figuring it out today. Anyway, so there's five levels. Independent consultants, district managers, area managers, regional vice presidents, national vice presidents. Um, And the table that I put down obviously is in a square, but it can get formed into another shape. So there's five levels and you, you work your way up the square by recruiting more people um, and selling more product. What they do is Arbon, you get independent consultants in and these independent consultants will buy inventory and then they'll try sell it on to their friends and their family and then they'll also recruit people to be other independent consultants. 174,000 independent consultants. Of those only... um, 17% received any money from Arbon in 2018. This is when we start to really get into it, right? So there's a couple of ways that you can be an independent consultant. What I really like about Arbon is that you don't have to buy any product from them to be an independent consultant. So a lot of other MLM companies, they will get you to byproduct from the from the beginning because that makes sense to me how can you sell something properly if you can't touch it trial it like 
create marketing for it if you don't have it in your house. But Arbonne doesn't make you. And there is a little bit of debate on the internet at the moment, whether it's like all you have to do is pay a one-off fee that you get mm. your website. Have you seen that? I've seen the 49, 49 US dollars. And then I've seen that people are highly encouraged to purchase like their starter kit, which is like obviously mm. a whole fuckload of products that ends up being anywhere from like, I don't know, 500 to a thousand bucks or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You couldn't be more right, Luz. You are highly encouraged to mm-hmm. purchase your starter kit. But I also understand why you would want to do that because you know, you need samples to host these parties. Like you yeah. can't just invite girls and boys around and be like, I'm an Arbonne independent consultant, but I don't have any of the product. And I've never tried any of them. So <laughs> yeah. So it makes sense to me. It makes or, sense. If you're going to yeah. go gung ho with your new business venture, then you should probably buy the products. And at that point, when you're buying those products, you probably don't realize that shit, maybe I'm actually not going to make this money back. You, you definitely think at the start you're going to make the money back, right? So you spend the money. Yeah. So there's two types of independent consultants. There is an active independent consultant, and then there is a non-active independent consultant. So how you become, how you, how you are actually, an active independent consultant is based on your QV, which is your qualifying volume. Have you seen bits about qualifying volume before? No, I saw all the acronyms and I got scared. So Why is there so many acronyms? No, WTF, IDK. <laughs> <laughs> Basically your QV, which isn't public knowledge, so I don't actually know, is uh, it's a percentage of the sales that you make through your website. So that's how you can also be an independent consultant without ever touching a product, without ever, you know, yeah, without ever being part of Arbon. You can still be an independent consultant because you pay that $49 fee um, and then they make you your own, and I'm doing those bunny ears again, Mm -hmm. your own website. So what this website is, is not your own website. And I need to be really clear about that. It is, it's kind of like, you know, one, Arbonne is a huge website and you're just a tiny little pixel of their website where they say it's yours because your name will be in the URL and you can put that URL, which people who are listening to this will have interest in Arbonne, I believe. And they will all know that when you go onto these active, on these, any of these consultants pages, they've got their URL for their Arbonne website in their bio and it will be like... I'm just making this up. www.arbon slash Annabelle. I know that's not right, but it is in some sort of way correct. And then what happens is your customers that you get on board as an independent consultant, quite often it's your friends and your family. Mm -hmm. You get them to buy products from your website um, and you get a 35% commission. Um, and that's what Arbon considers their wholesale price. So that's the first way you make money as an independent consultant is through your website and through selling products. The other way that you make money, and this is where it gets really gray, and I don't know how much money you make per person, but you recruit people. Me and you, when we posted our, our stories, our Instagram posts, our articles, I know that you would have received thousands of messages from people who have been... Thousands. I couldn't even touch my message requests for days after I posted about that because it was slammed. Everyone has a story about Arbon. You know, I'm sure that you did read some of them and then there would have been a lot of people saying that, you know, they have been reached out, especially over the Mm -hmm. last few weeks. Anyway, so this is the perfect time for people to join Arbon. 
Okay, so what happens is to move up the ranks, you have to, as I said, get a QV. Your QV is 250 QV. And you get that through, from what I'm led to believe, the sale of products that you make through your personalized website. And once you have 250 QV, you are considered an active independent consultant. And when you're an active independent consultant, you're allowed to make money from Arbon. If you don't get 250 QV, you make $0 regardless. So say you make 249 QV, you're still at zero. You're at $0. You're considered a non-active independent consultant. 17% of independent consultants are active. (laughs) So are you saying that of the 180,000 odd consultants, that were in 2018, mm-hmm. see only 17% of them are active consultants because only 17% of them have made the 250 QV needed. Per month. Per month. Yeah. So what happens Sorry. if the next month they don't? They... Exactly. <gasps> so to further what you've just said, what actually means is that 83% of independent consultants aren't making a single fucking dime. Oh, my God. And that's the crux of the company. Okay, so, yeah, that makes sense because then the company is making all this money, say, all these 249 QV point people are making this money for the company and getting nothing back, and then the company's making money, and that's how it's become a $500 million or $600 million company that it is today. Yeah, we could we could infer that, but we can't. We don't we don't fully know to the whole thing of how it is. Yeah, what I will say on that is, yeah, basically, like there is a lot of people out there who are independent consultants not making any money. But do you know what the benefit of being an independent consultant is? That that they're independent consultants, but they don't try recruit people or sell people any product. They just do it because they get a discount from Arbonne because as I, I was mean, saying, that's kind of cheating the system, a system that's trying to cheat them. So I kind of say good on you. One thing I did forget to say when we were talking about these percentages is that I figured out it was 0.4, and I want to make this really clear, 0.4% of independent consultants, that's all of them, are making this dream life money, which is the, the Mercedes Benz, the, oh, the $22,000 a month cash. Because it's not mathematically possible that everyone can be on even the top two levels. It's like, and because the more you're recruiting under you, the more saturated the market gets, the less money you're going to make. Because if a whole friend group gets their own website, which we know isn't true, there's just no one left to sell to. You're not going to move up. It just mathematically doesn't make sense. And I'm not even a maths whiz. I'm not even close to a maths whiz, but even I know. Tell the, really? tell the listeners about the levels. So, the, as I said, there is five levels, but there's actually only four that you can go up, which I listed before, so I don't need to do it again. Mm-hmm. Because everyone, no matter what stage you're at, you're an independent consultant. Even if you're a national vice president, which is at the top, they're still independent consultants. They still, mm-hmm. to my knowledge, have to meet their QV each month. I want to know, like... 
number one, how you go from being a district manager to an area manager. Like, what does that entail? I started getting DMs from people who were kind of like, oh, I invested a lot of money at the start so I could move up quickly. Have you heard about this? Ainsley kind of talked about this in her article. I think people having to get a monthly spend and they end up making up the monthly spend by spending their own money on Arbonne products to try and move up the ranks. And the other thing, which is quite similar, because I interviewed this really lovely girl, um, obviously all anonymous. Anyway, so she was saying that you want the, the girls that you've recruited below you to do well because then you do well. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. So what you would incentivize them to do, which is in my article and she spoke about it, is like they had all these targets and her upline, downline, and I'll explain that in a bit, her upline told her, well, maybe she should just invest a little bit of money to making her target. And, and, and I'm using air quotes here when I say investing a little bit of money, which just essentially means spending your own money on products to make it look like you're Correct. Home. And she was making $30 a week, but then she also disclosed that she was actually spending more money on the products herself than what she was making. And that's one of the things with Arbonne is these people that are targeted to become independent consultants are often young mothers or, yeah, like you said before, people that have lost their jobs because of covid um, I feel like Arbonne targets communities and that's a really wide word because there's lots of communities that it can get its sticky fingers in. So churches, mm-hmm. military wives, communities where it's a lot of people together for a variety of different reasons, such as religion. Um, and, you know, they all trust each other. The whole Tupperware party thing started when housewives wanted something to do and a commun- they got sold this idea of like building your community by Tupperware parties mm. and, you know, while your husband's out at work, you can actually have your own thing going and there's this cool network of women that are also doing it. It's just like that, but with fizz sticks and young oh. girls on Instagram or young mums or, yeah. Like, let's just basically talk about social media for a second. There wasn't the social media aspect of it. And what social media has done has reached a way where people can connect to people so efficiently. So your upline is all the people that are ahead of you. So your direct upline is the girl that that got you into Arbonne. She's your mm-hmm. upline. And then her upline is the girl that got her into Arbonne, so on, so on, so on. Downline is who you get into Arbonne and you and it starts to create teams. So your downline, you get one person and then they get their best friend, you're their upline, they're your downline. And it's not like what and this is one thing that I really had a problem with. It's not like you're the boss of them or you're a CEO, which is a main selling point to these people that you become the CEO of your own company for $49 because you get a website. Fuck yeah. that. It's you get a landing page. You get a landing page on Arbonne's website. And as I was saying, like you can't make it baby pink with unicorns if that's your thing or whatever. There's rules. They tell you what to do. This is a, this is a very strategical, well-thought-out company. Why do people sign up? Like we're talking about all this shit about how you're not going to make any money you're going to have to try and recruit your friends and family and that might end up in you alienating them. Like what is this dream that they're being sold? What is the Arbonne dream? Number one is, as I said, 
my biggest pet peeve of it all is the be your own CEO because it's really deranged thinking because it's like, as I said, $49 for your own website and you're in charge, but no, they're still in charge. So that's the first thing. It's for girls who they might not know what they want to do. They're fresh out of school. They're 18 Mm -hmm. because you have to be 18, I believe, to be into Arbonne. Like you can't be any younger. And they're like, do I want to go to Victoria Uni or whatever, you know? And then, and then they're like, no, I'm just going to do this. And also it's beauty based and they sell scrunchies even, you know, and fizz sticks, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And you know, that's the dream. You're selling something that you kind of use all the time. And then there's all, there's a plethora of content crap on the internet, on Instagram specifically from other independent consultants, just selling you this dream and you, and people fall for it repeatedly. Like, can we talk about the filters? Yeah. Okay. I really wanted to talk about the filters because every Arbonne consultant that I have stalked has got that filter that kind that makes your skin orange and your teeth really white and the blues really blue. Yeah. They're all branded. They are branded. Whether that's in some weird contract or just in the team meetings that you pay for. So it's really interesting. That's such a good point. So Mm. what I think is Arbonne has got someone to create a preset and it's part of a toolkit. So when you start, you would get sent a lot of documents. And what I'm led to believe is that every month or even every week, um, Arbonne would send you an email. Maybe it's in a Dropbox link. Let's just um, hypothesize. It's in a Dropbox Mm. link and they've got like templates for you to fill in. It's all branded, like to help you become a social media guru. And interestingly, a lot of the messages I was receiving from people that had been Arbonne consultants and got out of it said that they were just being absolutely bombed with watch this, do this, like this can make your business better. Like they were being overwhelmed with these toolkits or these things that were meant to help them that they in the end were just like, I actually don't have 12 hours each day to watch this video about how I can do this or, you know, blah, blah, blah. That we just got too much. One of the main underlying messages that I had heard from other girls was that just no bullshit, no negativity, block people that say anything bad. Don't let anyone on your page commenting, like delete everything, block, you know, no negativity can be around the brand. We don't, we can't mm-hmm. be associated with that sort of stuff. So yeah, they do have strict kind of like guidelines. So I reached out to, as I said in my article, I would have reached out to 30 independent consultants in New Zealand. I had a couple of people on the line and then overnight something happened. All the people that I was going to interview. So, and I found out that an upline had sent out a message to her downline, if you will, about me and said not to talk to me because I was intending what I ended up writing. And then 30 independent consultants, they all told me to get jammed. So I started to reach out to people in America. Yeah. And America, they just do it better. Do you get what I mean? Like, yeah. they just, oh yeah, it will be like this Kiwi thing where, you know, tall poppy syndrome. It just yeah. doesn't exist. Oh, Kiwi that's sh- actually so interesting because I got one message. Most of the messages I got on Instagram were from Kiwis, but the one that I actually read that was from an American was a voice message. So I clicked it and it was like, hey guys, like I see you're asking about Arban. Um, I'm a consultant and I think it would really work with your brand. I'm happy to sit down with you. And like the one person that was from America that I read was trying to fucking pitch it to me. I was like, no thanks. We should yeah. probably tell everyone when we talk about Kimberly what we mean about the Kimberly situation. 
Kimberly has stage four um, cervical cancer. And I mean, number one, fuck, you know, like this is like real, that's awful. Like beyond words can't articulate like how much she would be going through. She's also a mother, you know what I mean? And I'm going to read it out because I think like, so her name is um, Miss underscore Valetti on Instagram. She has a highlight all about this. So I'm going to read out the message that she got sent. Hey, babe. So sorry to hear about your battle with cancer. Seeing as you might be dying soon, I think it's a really good idea to get involved with Arbon as it's such a good income and you don't want to leave your son with nothing, right? Question mark, question mark, question mark. That would be so selfish. The money you can make from it will be enough for him to go through school and Arbon look after your family after you die. I think you have a lot of followers that will buy our amazing products off you because they know you are dying, so they feel sorry for you. So it's a really good marketing platform. Let me know your thoughts and when we can get this journey started. I have never read that out loud. I've read it in my head. Uh, Reading it out loud makes it a hundred times more fucked up than reading it in my head. I guess I just sit on the field of repulse. It's just kind of just so disrespectful beyond measure. There are so many other ways that you, that that person, that message her could have gone about it. And and they just, I sit on the side of the fence where like, you just shouldn't have gone about it. There's no way to pitch something like that to someone that's obviously already struggling with something as tough as cancer. Do you really think they're going to have the mental, the physical, any capacity to start hashtag being their own boss? How deranged can this person be? And there has been lots of other messages, not as bad as this, but lots mm. of other messages of similar capacity where it's like, um, oh, I had a good one the other day. Someone sent me a message being like, hey, babe, saw your business just went under, like you should join Arbon. Um, great way to you, for you to start making money again. It's like, oh my God, if you want to just chuck a dagger at me, can you just like chuck a dagger at me, but then also like not talk about Arbon, like, Fuck you. (laughs) So with Kim, she's, guys, she's made an Insta story highlight all about this and she reached out to Arbon and she tried and tried and tried to get a response from Arbon. She kind of gave them the opportunity to apologize and to figure this out with her. She said she didn't want to talk to the media. She was willing to have a phone call with them. What did happen was that she received a recording of a voice message of someone's manager or someone's upline or team manager. And she was a Kiwi basically saying that this person, Kim, was scamming Arbon. They made this up. Um, They're using it for clout. Basically just kicking someone while they're down. I just, I don't know. I just don't know how anyone that's, I mean, that's one consultant for the most part. They come at you with really nice messages, caressing your ego, wanting you to become a consultant for Kim. It wasn't the case, but I think it's important to talk about that because that's just fucked. And it's just like the gray area because in Arbonne's defense, it would be impossible managing the comms of 174,000 people who are incentivized to message over 30 people a month quick yeah. math that's millions of comms and, and yeah guys that's why if one of your friends has signed up or someone you know has signed up or maybe you have 
I don't know, had a long lost uni friend message you. That's why they are messaging you and alienating essentially everyone in their friends list because that then they have to follow up and then everyone's like, okay, well, I'm going to block you or mute you. Or, yeah. And it's really sad because these are just people as well and this is them trying to start their business. But it's gotten to a point where it's not hustling. It's actually just like a bit sad. It's just a bit greasy and like sleazy yeah. and just like some truth needs to be spread about it before it gets any further out of hand i think messaging someone with stage four cancer and trying to pitch your product is where you need to actually start kind of calling these people out um okay i've got a couple more things that i do want to cover with you liam one of them is the white mercedes i'm assuming that just like everything else with arbon it's not quite true so to get a white mercedes you've got to be at the top two levels um regional vice president and national vice president. Once you get to this regional vice president level, Arbon will send you a check in the mail, if you will, or de- deposit it in your account, however you're doing your payments with them. Um, and that money will be a certain amount and it will go, it, it depends on you hitting your targets. So if you don't hit your target, you don't get the money in the mail. You don't get yeah. a check in your account, whatever. Before you get the Mercedes, you have to sign the lease to it. So you sign the lease under your own name. So it's your car, but you've got to put Arbonne's sticker on it. Anyway, so yeah, so every month you have to keep hitting your sales targets to keep getting this check. Let's say it's Mm -hmm. 800 bucks, whatever. If you don't get this, if you don't hit your sales target that month, you're not going to get that money, which means that you're paying for your own car. Basically with the car, you get money towards renting or leasing your own Mercedes-Benz in your own name. Mm-hmm. And then you have a Benz bash where Arbon gets to present you the car that you have leased under your name and you've probably driven to the party and handed over the keys for Arbon to present it to you. Okay, so um, one of the last things that I want to touch on is, and this is something that I find quite jarring, the fact that for not all Arbon consultants, but a lot of them sell these kind of health and wellness products from the standpoint that they are a health expert or that they have some sort of training in this, which they just don't. Mm-hmm. Like they have, what is it? It's a 30-day diet. Well, they don't call it a diet and they don't call it a detox, but essentially it's a 30-day detox thing. Detox. Totally. They make so much money on these 30-day detoxes. And like, it's just so bad and so it can be really harmful if you're targeting this at someone who either is already susceptible to, you know, being triggered with their eating or dieting with things like this, not only mentally or someone that has even an allergy to something in the detox and you're not a health expert, so you, maybe you right. don't know. maybe it was through your article or one of the rabbit holes I went down, a consultant had said that she can't be sure, but after doing this 30 day detox, um, some people that were on it with her fell pregnant and they'd been trying to for years. And then when they did this detox, they got pregnant. And I thought, how fucking irresponsible is that? To bring in like fertility stuff is just next level. But what I will say about that is from my knowledge, and there's two bits of this. 
from my knowledge, Arbon and has become, has been very clear with people about doing that. And that's a huge no-no for the company. It's mm-hmm. a huge do not do this. Mm-hmm. But as we were talking about before, how can you regulate the comms from that many people? And when people get desperate to sell product, desperate to move up, you, you draw outside the lines, you know, you hustle. And yeah. here we are with people hustling to a point of it being really detrimental. I feel like Arbon is starting to tighten up their regulations with, you know, girls just going crazy on Instagram being like, my life is fixed. My life has changed. I'm motivated. Yeah. I'm a CEO. They have to start putting disclaimers because there is no room for people to be bullshit on this, on this internet, yeah. you know, like. There's not even that much room anymore for people to be influencing people in a harmful way or almost in any way. I feel like people are becoming so critical in their thinking. Like, you know what goes on, that they're being paid to sell you this thing. I just feel like there's not that much room for influencing like this. I actually, I do think that for us to work any of this out fully, one of us, or we have to employ someone to go in and become an Arbon. We do. An Arbon, if you're listening, we're not actually going to do this. Oh, I do because there's just so many loopholes that I haven't even gone into. Guys, also for anyone that's listening, go and read Liam's article. Go and read the article that shit you should care about posted and please come and talk to both Source, which we talked about earlier. The Instagram name has a whole lot of um, underscores at the end and shit you should care about about any of your Arbonne experiences or just any of this shit that we've talked about because honestly, it's so interesting to both of us. Okay, Liam, I feel like we have kind of talked around in circles about everything, or maybe not even everything that we needed to talk about, but that's just fucking Arbon because we're never going to get to the bottom of anything, let alone everything. So I feel like we need to wrap this up, otherwise we are going to be spewing about Arbon for hours. I could not agree with you more. You're so good at this, Luke, but it's just <laughs> no. so You really are, like it's insane. Um, this is a huge mindfuck. Talking to you, who is actually, I know you're not an expert on it, but as expert as I'm going to get, has been mm. enlightening, Dal. I just want everyone to know, like, in my personal opinion, you know, just keep your wits about you. And if something sounds like it's too good to be true, it probably fucking is. And if you want to get a white Mercedes, just, you know, get a white Mercedes. You don't need a logo on it. <laughs> and with that finish episode six of the shit show thanks for listening everyone planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.